This is a Kansas Memory, a Kansas State Historical Society podcast featuring glimpses of Kansas history from documents in the Library and Archives collections. In January 1865, Samuel Johnson Crawford, a heroic and popular Civil War commander, became the third governor of the state of Kansas. At the age of 29, he was the youngest man to ever hold that office. During his administration, the population of the new state swelled rapidly. That and the building of the railroads farther west led to increasing conflicts between whites and the southern Cheyenne, Sioux, Comanche, and other Plains Indian tribes. In 1868, the U.S. Army, Department of Missouri, headed by General Phil Sheridan, embarked on a winter campaign on the frontier to quell the Indian raids. Greatly disturbed by the escalating violence during his first term, Governor Crawford requested permission to recruit the 19th Kansas Volunteer Cavalry to join General Sheridan's troops on their campaign through what is now southwest Kansas and Oklahoma. Crawford recruited over 1,300 Kansas men in three weeks. At the last minute, he decided to resign from office on November 4, 1868, the day after his re-election, to become Colonel of the Kansas Regiment. These passages are taken from a history of the 19th Kansas written by George B. Jennis, the commander of Company F, based on his diary. November 5, 1868. The health, spirits, and fine condition of men and horses naturally inspired hopes that the 19th would accomplish much during its terms of service, and at the same time reflect credit upon the young state from which it had been so quickly gathered. Certainly no similar organization had ever begun a campaign under more favorable circumstances, nor in better condition. And yet we anticipate somewhat when we say that no hopes in any regiment were ever more bitterly disappointed, and that too through no fault of its own. On the 12th, the command arrived at Wichita, the conflux of the little with the greater Arkansas rivers, and went into camp in a narrow bend of the river some distance west of the post. This little station consisted of one rudely constructed log building used for army supplies, another similar though smaller log structure inhabited by the post sutler of Captain Jennings' company of the militia battalion, and one or two adobes. Some little distance to the northwest stood four or five bark and grass-wove wickies of the Caddo Indians, looking like dirty Sibley tents from a distance, but uninhabited. The Indians who formerly frequented this place having all gone west, the Bucks, doubtless to join the Cheyennes and Comanches in their predatory expeditions upon the more northerly Kansas frontier. By direction of General Sheridan, two scouts reported to be thoroughly familiar with the plains of southern Kansas and the northern portion of the Indian Territory were assigned to duty with our regiment. Of these two, Apache Bill was the leader and supposed to be the keenest and most experienced, and to his guidance, Colonel Crawford trusted himself and command with the utmost confidence. The point of juncture and rendezvous where the 19th was to join the regular forces congregated for this hopeful campaign was Camp Supply, a new post established by General Sheridan near the northwest corner of Indian Territory and on the north fork of the Canadian River. The distance from Camp Beecher, a point quite near the present site of Wichita, was supposed not to greatly exceed 150 miles. 
The country intervening, however, was a wild and broken region, save by a single trail running westward and bearing into the Indian Territory and known as Dutch Henry's Trail. Apache Bill declared himself familiar with this prairie highway, and the command followed his guidance from Camp Beecher with most implicit confidence. The expectation of Colonel Crawford was to join General Sheridan and General Custer with the 7th U.S. Cavalry at Camp Supply within the five days for which rations had been drawn at the very comfortable and sober rate of about 30 miles per day and without exhausting men or beasts. On November 18th, a disaster befell the regiment when 300 of their horses stampeded and only a little over a third could be recovered. The resulting delay meant that the regiment ran out of food and had to subsist on what buffalo they could kill. On November 22nd, two feet of snow fell and the hunting parties came back empty-handed. After that, the men went six days without eating. Late in the afternoon on the 22nd, the colonel called a council of the officers and called for an expression of opinion upon the situation. There was no use of concealing the fact the guide, wholly ignorant of the country as subsequently appeared, had led us a long distance to the south of the trail we should have followed and no man in the command could tell us our exact location or its relative position to camp supply. The question to be decided was whether we should push on in a general western or northerly direction in the hope of finding camp supply or turn due north and strike for the nearest military post on the upper Arkansas River. A diversity of opinion ensued, but upon one of the company commanders facetiously remarking that there was no danger of starvation so long as a horse or mule remained, the colonel decided in favor of adhering to the original plan and pressing forward. November 27th About noon, as the column emerged from the timber bottom of the river and rode to the higher ground, a shout from the companies near the head of the columns announced that something unusual was in view, and in a few moments all came in sight of some horsemen riding to meet us. They proved to be scouts sent out to hunt for our command, and they gave us joyful tidings that camp supply was only five miles ahead. The poor horses appeared to understand that they were near rest and forage, and stepped off with an animation that they had not known for days. A brief canter brought us to the new post and new tents and plenty of rations, soon partially obliterated the recollection of our loss, hunger, and sufferings. The disappointment of General Sheridan over the unfortunate experience was very great. All his arrangements for an active and aggressive campaign against the Indians had been made. He was expecting to be reinforced with a full regiment of gallant Kansas volunteers, finely mounted and equipped. The 7th Cavalry was waiting for the new auxiliary, having just returned from its recent fight with Black Kettle, and with the 19th they expected to be able to annihilate all the Indians on the plains. This was the dream. What was the reality? A disorganized band of half-starved men, a regiment of worn-out and emaciated horses, so reduced that there was hardly a serviceable horse in the command. And as the weather continued cold, 
there wasn't a night passed, but what from three to ten dead horses were found on the lines in each company. The regiment, slowed by the severe weather, had arrived too late to participate in the only real battle of the campaign, when Custer's troops attacked the Cheyenne village of Chief Black Kettle on the Washita River on November 27, 1868. Approximately 40 Cheyenne died in the battle. The cavalry killed over 800 ponies and mules and destroyed their winter food supply. The attack was controversial because although it forced the Cheyenne to accept reservation life, Black Kettle's band was not considered dangerous. This has been a Kansas Memory, a Kansas Historical Society podcast. The documents used in this podcast are from Kansas Memory, a virtual repository of primary sources from our collections. The URL for this website is www.kansasmemory.org.